Good morning. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to bless this time for us in His Word. Our Father, we're thankful that we have the Word of God before us today. We're thankful that we have this place to worship. You, you belong in our worship. You are our worship. Father, we pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would grant to us the ability to worship you the way that you indeed deserve to be worshipped. And in fact, that we would see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see him as enough, that we would see him for all that he is, that he points to you, that you and he are one, and that there is nothing more that we need this side of heaven than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that these truths would be so apparent to us today, that they would again be apparent to those that we love and are seeking to minister to do, uh, minister to. Lord, we pray that you would uh, grant us uh, this time now for your name's sake and for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to begin reading this morning in chapter 14, verse 1. Pastor Mike preached last week, verses 1 through 6. And indeed, uh, he had to stop at verse 6 because it was enough. But the conversation with the disciples continues. And so we're going to try to take a little bit more of that chunk today, beginning in verse 7. But we're going to read in verse, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I'd like to just remind us of the reality that we face here as disciples. If we're going to put on the disciples' shoes this morning... As Jesus is talking with them and as they ask questions, it's helpful to understand what they're thinking and, and what has been told to them. And remember, there are two concerns that Jesus is interesting, interested in addressing with them. The first is that Jesus is going away. And the second is that they cannot follow him. They are remaining behind and so those are the two concerns. And Jesus says in verse 1, in light of that, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, 
Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Have you ever bought something and thought it was enough? Maybe some of you bought your first home and then you started filling it with kids and years of stuff. Maybe some of you have just launched out into your first home and you're not sure how in the world you're ever going to fill all these rooms adequately. Well, give it some time, right? Give it some children, right? And it will get filled, and then your life will be a revolving garage sale. <laughs> you laugh because you know it's true. You know, as our church family, we know these growing pains altogether too well, don't we? Do you know our church history here on this site? In 1979, we moved from little white building to this location, and our original church building was just outside these walls in the Fellowship Hall, but it was just the high ceiling part in the back hallway. That was Grace Church of Menor in 1979. Short 10 years later, a little about 10 years later, 1986, the lower part of the Fellowship Hall, the lower ceiling part was built, including the kitchen. That was expanded several times. And then in 1995, two-thirds of this auditorium was built. We thought that was enough. Then in 2004, the education wing was built. We thought that would be enough. And some of you, you walked through it with just the frames and you saw how big the, the bones of that, of that two-story wing would be. And you're like, how in the world are we ever going to fill all this? Have you been up there lately? <laughs> it's not just filled with stuff. By God's grace, it's filled with children and people. Amen. And uh, shortly after that build, we expanded this room. And at times we we are wondering how in the world we're going to have enough room. God seems to be working for sure here. But in a human capacity, in a human framework, it often is true that we're not convinced that we have enough. Philip, in, in a sense, expresses this very human sentiment in the face of Jesus leaving. Philip desires more. Do you see that? Verse 8. Show me the Father. Show me the Father because in, that, in Philip's mind that would be enough to comfort him. In Philip's mind seeing God and the glory of God would settle the hearts and the minds of the disciples now and in the future when Jesus departs. And when you and I look at Philip 
who's really representing here the doubts and the fears of the disciples, we wonder how Philip can ask such a question, don't we? <laughs> Staring at Jesus, saying, Jesus, show me the Father and that'll be enough. Really, Philip? Really? You're going to ask that? But you know, in a sense, Philip's question does have some merit. Think about it this way. In one sense, Philip has a high and exalted view of who Jesus is. Because you don't just walk up to anybody and say what? Show me God. So Philip at least has an exalted view of who Jesus is. Jesus is not just anybody to Philip. But here's the problem this morning that Philip so well articulates, I think, for you and for me. The problem is squarely this. The trouble that Philip sees is bigger than who Philip sees Jesus being. And so the question for us this morning is, in light of the difficulty, in light of the situations, in light of the fear, in light of the troubles, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Because Jesus answers back and we're going to see in this text that Jesus answers back and he's unpacking to Philip and to the rest of the disciples, I am enough. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am going. You will remain, but I am enough. And you know, in, in one sense, we're on the other side of that question where, where Jesus has, we, that's all we know is that Jesus has departed. But here, that trouble, that distress, that very news alone makes Philip doubt and the rest of the disciples. And so when Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus wants us to see that he's enough. And first of all, we see the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to see here. That's an obvious statement for us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's one that I think we would do well to remember, no matter the situation or the time in our life. We see the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. and You cannot truly see God in any other way. There is such a unity, Jesus says here, and there's such a oneness with the Son and the Father that to claim going to the Father any other way is flat out unequivocally wrong. And so that that has a lot to speak to our friends who are pluralistic in their understandings of their approach to God. That, that goes a lot to our culture who says that you can just determine your own way. And the fact of the matter is Jesus says, no, you can't. Philip, don't forget that I am the way to the Father. And he says in verse 9, you see that? He who sees me, what? Sees, has seen the Father. <coughs> so, Philip, how long have I been with you and you do not know me? Philip, Thomas, Peter, the other disciples were overwhelmed because Jesus would leave in a few short hours, yet they would remain. 
Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not forget that I am enough, whether I go or whether I stay. And I mentioned that we're on the, we're on the flip side of the equation where Jesus has always, we've only known that Jesus has left us. And let it be an encouragement to you that these men who got to walk with Jesus and hear Jesus and, and discuss their troubles in their hearts with Jesus doubted in this time. And yet you, who never have seen Jesus, what? You believe. And by God's grace, you persevere. Isn't that what Jesus tells Thomas? Remember doubting Thomas? And Jesus says, because you have seen me, Thomas, what? You believed. But blessed are those who, what? Will not see and yet believe. That's that's the company that we keep. The blessing of those who do not see Jesus, but yet by faith believe. And so do not let your, tr- your heart be troubled. Jesus is enough. But I do think that we can identify with Philip, can't we? We can identify with the doubts that creep into our own faith at times when the storm clouds get so dark that doubt causes us to question. Have you ever been there? Or is it just me? I think that's true. I think the question about the, the truth of the word of God, the, the question about is God enough? Do I really have access to God? Often tends to creep in. Isn't that what Satan did with Eve so long ago in the garden? The first cast of doubt was a question. Do you really know God, Eve? Has God really said these things? Is it really true? So sometimes those whispers echo to us, don't they? Do you really know God, Steve? Have you really seen him? Have, how do you know that the Bible is right and all other beliefs of all time are wrong? Have you ever been asked that question? How do you know that the Bible's right? Anyone thinking ought to ask that question. If you're in the children's ministries, you probably get asked that question. My oldest daughter has asked that question now several times as she's exposed to others that have a belief that's different than hers. Daddy, how do we know that that the Bible's right, that Jesus is, that God is, that we have the right understanding of him? Do you have a Bible answer for that question, believer? What's the Bible answer? Here, Jesus says, I'm enough. Jesus is the answer. How do I know that the Bible's true? It's because Jesus said so. Because Jesus lived and he performed the signs and the wonders authenticating that he is from the Father. And if you have seen him, you have what? You have seen the Father. Faith is as simple as that. You can't overcomplicate it. So, How do we know that Christianity is the true religion? It's because of Jesus, my friends. There's no other evidence that can actually amount to the truth that Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he goes on to unpack it. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And then Jesus says, if you have heard my words, you hear 
the Father's words. You see that in verse 10? The words that I say to you, I do not speak out of my own initiative. This isn't the first time Jesus has unpacked that truth for us, is it? It won't be the last. But Jesus reminds us that while we do not walk hand in hand with him today, we do have his words, believer. We do have the recordings of his ways. This is something that Jesus planned all along. He knew that he would depart and that we would remain. And so he leaves something with us. And he's unpacking that for the disciples. He's leaving his word. You say, well, Pastor Steve, they didn't have the word right then. They just had Jesus and his words, and, and the word was coming. And you're right. But this was Jesus' plan all along. That throughout the course of history, there would only be a few, relative few disciples that would actually walk and talk and hear Jesus. And Jesus had a plan for this. And I want you to take your Bibles and just quickly turn to John chapter 16 because we see that the plan is to our advantage. John chapter 16 and verse 12, Jesus says, I've been planning for this the whole time. I have a little bit more to tell you, actually. Verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you. And then he says this. I'm not going to say when I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you now. He says this. You're not ready to hear them yet. There's a lot that has to happen, and one of them is Jesus has to be crucified. Jesus has to raise from the dead. He has to, he has to demonstrate and pay for the sins that he came to take and demonstrate his power over death. And until that point, you're not going to be ready for them. You're not going to be ready for them in this context until I go away, until I send somebody else, the helper, the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that will prepare you to be ready, but you're not ready now. But I have a whole lot more to say. Verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you to what is to come. And he will glorify me. And he's basically going to say what I'm going to say. What's Jesus saying? You've got a lot more to say. I've got a lot more to say. You've got a lot more to learn. But you're not ready. So what's that a lot more? Where do we find that? We have the gospel writers recording for us, right? His words and his works. So now, what is the a lot more that Jesus wants us to learn, and yet we're not yet ready for until the Spirit comes? Well, follower of Christ, it's called the epistles. The Holy Spirit who uses these men to basically unpack the truths of Jesus' words and his ways in letters to the churches so that you and I can, can have and hold the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is his plan for us to have his words, which are his Father's words. And then we also see that the works Jesus does are by the Father. So we, if we see the, the Son, we see the Father. If we hear the Son, we hear the Father. But what does Jesus say? We're, we're, actually, we're actually very much surprised by what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, do, do you not believe? We're back in John chapter 14. 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Then he says this, right? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. And then we, we think he, w- he would say something like this. But the Father abiding in me says these things. But he doesn't say that there, does he? Where does he go right to? He slips right from the words to what? To the works. Here's a strong testimony to the reality that the signs that John records of Jesus, the miracles, are are signposts communicating who Jesus is and what Jesus demands. Jesus demands belief in him. Jesus demands that if you see me, you see the Father. If you want to see the Father, you must see me. And and so the works Jesus does are are done by the Father. And uh, these are so helpful for us emphasizing the the reality of what Jesus' whole point was in the sign miracles that they're they're not for sensationalism's sake but they're really for our sake that, that we would understand and know that Jesus is the Son of God but that we just want to stop there look at verses 10 through 12 and I want you to I'm asking you to do some work this morning but take your Bibles and look. And there's, there's a word that's repeated four times in three verses. What is it? Do you see it? Did you notice it when we read it? What is it? It's belief. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the, word, the Father abiding in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. What does Jesus want from these signs? What does Jesus want from these works? What does he want? He doesn't want you to to do these signs. He doesn't want you to walk around healing lame men and causing blind to see. He wants you to believe that Jesus can do that because he is from the Father and he and the Father are one. That's what Jesus demands of his works for you to believe. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That he is the Son of God. He's not asking you to clean up your own life. And he's not promising that if, if somehow you follow him, you're not going to have any ailments or lameness or lose your eyesight. Or he's, not gonna, he's not claiming that you're never going to want No, you read through the early church, the early church lacked. They lacked food, they lacked shelter. They gave to each other until they themselves became poor. How is it that the prosperity gospel can be real? That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to believe. Do you believe? And this belief is an amazing, powerfully, it's an amazing thing. It's so powerful. 
Not only is it important for each individual's eternal destiny, right? That's the question this morning. You draw the circle around yourself. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, you can say, I know for sure where I'm going because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. But if you don't, my friend, you have no claim from God's word on where you will go and spend eternity. In fact, if you do not believe, the Bible says that you will not go because the, Jesus came and he calls you to believe. But belief plays a role in revealing God to others as well. Not only does Jesus reveal God, but so do those who believe in his name. That's the second point that Jesus wants us to understand when he says, Philip, I'm enough. You're asking to see the Father look to me. And by the way, Philip, when I'm gone, others will be able to look through you to me. Can others look through you to Jesus Christ this morning? Now, I'm not saying that you can save anybody. I'm not saying that you can, you can ultimately be the, the savior or the help for anyone. But I am saying that you have a responsibility like Jesus was the signpost to God. You are the signpost to Jesus. That's why you remain. That's why Jesus left and he kept you and me here. Or in this case, he called us here after he left. And so we see the Father through those who believe in the Son. Now look at verse 12 with me. Jesus, Jesus says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. And so I want to I try to answer what Jesus is saying here. And he says, so, you know, you're going to do greater works. And a lot of people can look at it and say, hey, Jesus lame, healed lame men, and, and he caused the blind to see. That's what I'm going to do. What, what can be better than that, right? Well, I want to ask two questions. What are the works that Jesus does, and what does he speak about here? And then, what are these greater works? And So to help us with the greater works, I want to help us really look at the works of Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. Okay? So, first, what are the works that Jesus does? The word works in the Gospel, if you, if you were to do a comparative analysis, I know I'm I, I just said something that may just like caused half of your brains to like go, your brains to go like, Boop, I'm out. All right, comparative analysis. If you were to just look at the rest of the Gospels and, and look for the word works, you would find that there are a, that word appears a ton, all right? There's some technical language for you. A ton in the Gospel of John comparative to, compared to the other Gospels. A ton. I'm not talking about the word sign for miracle. I'm talking about the word ergon. That's the word works. And so, it's interesting that John really unpacks for us what is Jesus' work. And he does it in several ways. So, if you were to go, you don't have to, but if you were to go to John chapter 10, we see that the word works in the Gospel of John is really used in reference to any of Jesus' Jesus's activities. In verse 31, uh, the Jews pick up stones to stone Jesus. And Jesus answered them, and he says, I showed you many good works from the Father. Which of them are you going to stone me for? 
Jesus kind of mentions his works there, the, the general use of his act, uh, general use of the word for his activity. It's also more specific in referencing Jesus's miracles. It's not the technical term that John uses. That's Samian, all right. It's not the technical term for for a uh, 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 miracle in John's gospel, but it does relate to it. The other two words, by the way, are dunamis, and we're going to see this in a minute. So I just want to lay them on the table, all right? Dunamis and, and teros. Um, those are other words for miracle, but not the word work in the Gospel of John. But it is sort of related. In John chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus answers them, and he's, he's talking to the, the priest. He said, I did one deed. This is the Nasby's translation of the word work there in verse 21. I did one work. I did one deed, and you all marvel. And so we want to ask what this deed is. In verse 23, we're told, Jesus says, If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, you are angry with me because I made an entire man well. So what's Jesus' work there? It's related to the, to the sign that he, he made the uh, lame man walk on the Sabbath. Right? In John chapter 7. So, so his works are not necessarily real, uh, 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 related to miracles, but they're not necessarily not related to miracles. They encompass, it's broader than just miracles. Okay, are you following me? Because that's a really important part. That when Jesus talks about his works, he's not just talking about miracles. But he is also including miracles in his work. But I want you to take your Bibles, if you haven't been turning with me, and go to John chapter 6. Because there is another way in which Jesus' work is demonstrated in the Gospel of John. And this is very helpful as we're trying to unpack what it is that Jesus' work is and how it is that we can actually do greater works than Jesus. Because that kind of, that kind of, that's kind of a hard thing, isn't it, to understand and unpack. How can I do a greater work than what Jesus did? In John chapter 6, and verse 25, right, we're past where Jesus feeds the, the thousands, the 5,000, and Jesus says, uh, or, 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 uh, or we find out that he's on the other side of the sea. He's kind of left them, and they're following him. And some say to him in verse 25, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, verse 26, not because you saw signs, that's the word for miracle in John's gospel. In other words, not because you intended to, to utilize the signs to point to the Father. But why did, you, why did they follow Jesus? They were hungry. They wanted to have their fill of loaves. And in verse 27, it says, Do not work, and that's the word that we're looking at, ergon. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Boy, if you really want to get into the works, here we are. We're, they were asking about working the works of God. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You ready? This is 
You want a definition of the work of God? This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he goes on in this passage to say, I am the bread of life. So what is the work of God? It's that you believe that I am him, Jesus says. The works, the miracles that Jesus does are intended for a greater work. And what is that greater work in the mind of God? It's that you what? You believe. Are you following me? If I can put it this way, right? This time of year, our leaves have fallen. So have all the acorns. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to diminish Jesus' miracles, but basically what's going on here is Jesus is saying, if, if you want a comparative illustration, Jesus is saying, my signs are acorns compared to the vast strength and growth of a huge, tall oak. The point is not the acorn. Healing a lame man is not the point. What is the point? What is the oak? It's belief in Jesus. And so I want to demonstrate to you that you and I do the greater works because Jesus goes to the Father. Did you catch that in our, in our text? I know, we're flipping all over the place. Welcome to preaching from the Word of God, right? But look at verse 12. Back in John chapter 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. And it's not over. What does Jesus say? Because I go to the Father. Why is it that you can do greater works? Because Jesus goes to the Father. Because Jesus does his cross work. And he pays as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. Because Jesus does the cross work and three days later he conquers death and shouts, you can have newness of life through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can do greater works today because Jesus left. Because Jesus was obedient to God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient even to the point of the death of the cross. That's why you can do greater works. Because greater works are, is not about doing more miracles. You know, what, what's greater than healing or, or, or causing Lazarus to raise from the dead? Jesus says there's something. And that is believing in me. That is new birth. That is John, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? How can someone be born again? Do I have to climb back into my mother's womb? No, it's a miracle. The Spirit of God does it through the Word of God. Causing someone 
who is dead spiritually to be alive in Jesus Christ. That is the greater miracle. That sinners repent and place their faith in him. John chapter 5, verse 20. Look at it. John says, uh, for the Father lo- or, uh, Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so also gives life to whom he wishes. What's the greater works? It's Jesus giving life to whom he wishes. That's new life. And our time has expired. And so I suppose we're going to just stop here this week. Uh, we have a little bit more to go, and we'll figure that out next week. But we have a baptism, and I suppose this is a really good place to stop. Because I was about to take you through the book of Acts, and just a little bit, just a couple chapters, just a couple, and demonstrate to you the greater works. But my friends, we're about to see a We're about to hear testimony. We're not about to see a greater work. That's already happened in the life of little Lydia. But we're about to hear testimony of it. And I want to ask you a question as we do that this morning. Do you believe that when someone asks Jesus to be their Savior, when they repent of their sins and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is greater than... Jesus calling a man forth to rise from the dead physically. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it is greater than Jesus saying, start seeing again who has been blind for so long? Do you believe it? Because that is what Jesus has done in you. And that is what Jesus tasks you to do. You to proclaim. You can't do that, but you can proclaim it through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work, that's the greater work that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us today to very clearly understand the scales of work. And I'm talking about the weight scales that you would help us understand that healing and while those things had their place, they are not as weighty as the greater work of salvation, of belief in your name. I pray that that would overwhelm us today for for some of us who, who feel like we were saved and we don't, we don't really have something to do or we're really not gifted to do something. We're really not worthy. We really don't have a worth like someone else, like so-and-so. Oh, Father, take those, those sinful ideas and cast them aside in our hearts and minister to those who doubt today that first you have performed an amazing work, a miracle of new life in them, and you have gifted them and caused them to remain here to proclaim the gospel, the wonderful good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that we would take that great work seriously today. That we would not grow tired of it, that we would not grow weary in doing good. But that you would cause us, fresh and anew, to ask the question, like Philip does, and to hear Jesus say, I'm enough. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Now those who believe in me can do a greater work. And that work is the great commission that you've given this church and all churches who believe in your name to do. So help us to focus on it. Help us never to lose it. Help us to cast aside all other good things and help us to pursue the greater work we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.